It's time to be equipped with spiritual battle. Defending the Faith is a show to train Christians worldwide to be effective teachers and speakers on the subject of biblical creation so that the next generation can stand firm on biblical truth and defend their faith. Now here's your host of Defending the Faith, Mike Riddle. Welcome to Defending the Faith. I'm your host, Mike Riddle. In our show, we talk about creation evolution. We talk even talk about things like moral relativism, meaning there are no absolutes, and that's what they're teaching in a lot of our schools today. What we're here to do is teach you how to defend your faith in God's Word. We have a ministry. It's called Creation Training Initiative, and you can find us on the web at creationtraining.org. That's all one word, creationtraining.org. We'd like to encourage you to email us if you have any comments about what we're doing. If you have any questions about uh, creation evolution, we appreciate your questions, answers, and comments. You can email us at info, that's I-N-F-O at creationtraining.org, info at creationtraining.org. Now, our topic today is an interesting one. It's called Critical Thinking Skills and Evolution. Critical Thinking Skills and Evolution. Now, the Bible teaches that we should test all things. Why? To see if they're really true. What should we test them against? Well, the Bible. We should test all things against God's Word. The Bible also teaches that we are to obey everything God has commanded us. And one of these commands comes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, where it teaches this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In other words, folks, we should equip ourselves with the knowledge and skills to defend all attacks against God's word. 1 Peter 3.15 also tells us we're to have a ready answer always for the hope that's within us. So we need to bring down those strongholds of evolutionism, and we need to make sure our children, our youth, know how to do this also. Now, one of the methods of doing this is applying what I call critical thinking skills. Critical thinking skills. Now, what is critical thinking? Well, it's a method of skillfully analyzing and evaluating statements or arguments. Now, this is not a real hard thing. I'm going to show you how easy this is when we get into this talk further. Critical thinking is learning how to detect errors, assumptions, and distortions in somebody's argument. It helps us expose things like logical fallacies and bad reasoning. And critical thinking skills can also be used to turn a discussion around from being on the defense to being on the offense, especially when somebody is attacking the Bible. So let's get into critical thinking and evolution. Some of the common evolutionist tactics that are used in our school systems by teachers, one of them is called bluffing. Many of our teachers stand in front of our students and just bluff their way through. For instance, they use statements like, we all know, or over millions of years. And what do our teachers do many times? Grades. Only evolution answers. Everything else is ruled out. Even science that opposes evolution is ruled out. In other words, all opposition is disallowed in our school systems. They also resort to intimidation techniques, especially at the university level. They discredit the Bible and creation right in the classroom. They discredit anyone who does not believe in evolution. And then 
They establish the illusion of authority and facts. For instance, the fossil record supports evolution. No, it does not. Not even close. How apes evolved into humans. How dinosaurs evolved into birds or in genetics. The field of genetics were were only about 2% different from the ape-like creatures. Folks, these are false. That has been shown to be false. But yet they establish this illusion of authority and facts. Now, instead of mostly focusing on comparison of evidence, <clears throat> now we're, we're talking about critical thinking skills here. What we want to do, instead of focusing on the evidence between creation and evolution, what we're going to do here today, I'm, I'm going to show you how to analyze the evolutionist arguments or words they're using and make them accountable for the words and arguments rather than getting into the evidence arguments. So what we're going to start with here is critical thinking questions. Three critical thinking questions. These have, in other words, in our public schools, here's the problem. Students are never really taught to critically analyze evolution. In other words, the whole scientific method is thrown out the window when it comes to evolutionism. We're told, just believe, because this is the only possible answer. So they're not allowed to critically analyze evolution. Let me give you three critical thinking questions you can ask when you're confronted with evolutionism. Now, these are going to be pretty simple, because not one of them has a scientific term in it. So question number one, how do you know it is true? When somebody brings up the topic of evolution, how do you know it's true? That will cause them to stop for a moment and reveal the source of their knowledge. And incidentally, a lot of times it's just the internet. And how much can we believe on the internet? So question number one, how do you know it's true? Question number two, has it ever been observed? Well, that's a big one. Has anybody ever observed the Big Bang? No. Anybody observed how life originated by naturalistic process? No. Anybody ever observed one creature evolving into another? No. Anybody ever observed millions of years? No. So what have we observed about evolution? Zero. So question number one, how do you know it's true? Question number two, has it ever been observed? Question number three, are you making any assumptions? Now let's apply these three questions to some real statements found in our textbooks. Number one, life originated in a pool of chemicals about 3.7 billion years ago. So let's apply our three questions. How do they know that's true? We're talking about something 3.7 billion years ago. How would they know that's true? We can't even figure things out sometimes that happened 100 years ago. The only reason they believe that is because of their belief in evolutionism, not because of scientific evidence. Question number two, has it ever been observed? No, the origin of life has never been observed, and our best scientists can't reproduce that in the laboratory. They can't even come up with one single biological protein. And question number three, are you making any assumptions? Yes, the whole idea of this is based on a major assumption, the assumption that evolution is true without producing any real evidence. So life originated in a pool of chemicals about 3.7 billion years ago is nothing more than a faith-based statement because of your belief in evolution. It cannot be reproduced. Here's another one. It comes from a biology textbook. This is a quote right from a biology textbook. Listen to this one carefully. Quote, scientists do know that about 200 to 300 million years after Earth cooled, enough to carry liquid water, cells similar to modern bacteria were common. Question number one, how did they know that's true? They weren't there. They never saw any of this, which gives us question number two. Has it ever been observed? Absolutely not. 
Are they making any assumptions? You betcha. This was a statement in a science textbook, biology textbook, to support evolutionism. And notice the words scientists do know. How do they know that? They don't. Do you get an idea what evolutionism is about? It's intimidation. It's false information. Now, here's another one. This one's not from a biology textbook. It comes from a man who's got his master's in divinity. He is a pastor, and he wrote a book called Thank God for Evolution. And he says this in his book. Those of us who embrace the scientific story of our roots know ourselves to be reworked stardust with a multi-billion-year pedigree. What did he just say? What he just said there, folks, is we all came from stardust. Question number one, how does he know that's true? He doesn't. Has it ever been observed? Absolutely not. Is he making any assumptions? Yes, he is. People are getting away with making these statements, which have no validity. It's just their faith. Now, here's a fourth one here. comes from an Earth Science textbook. And it states, stars and planets form from clouds of gas and dust called interstellar clouds. How do they know that's true? They don't, because no one has ever seen a star form. It's never, ever been observed. So that's question number two. Has it ever been observed? No. Are they making any assumptions? Yes. All their assumptions are based on their belief in evolutionism, not the empirical science. So now we've just gone through some examples of the three critical thinking questions. How do you know it's true? Has it ever been observed? And are you making any assumptions? Now let's go to what I call a power question. Here's your power question. Show me any observational evidence for evolution that does not require me to use faith. Let me repeat that. Show me any observational evidence for evolution that does not require me to use faith. Now, two key words in there. One, we're demanding the observational evidence, not theories, not assumptions, but the observational evidence. And the second key word there is faith. I don't want you giving me your faith. I want the real evidence. Let's apply that now, that power question. Here's the statement. Life must be on other planets. It's arrogant to believe we are the only life in the universe. Let's apply the power question. Show me any observational evidence for life anywhere else in this universe that does not require me to use faith. They cannot do that. You know how much physical evidence we have for life outside this planet? Zero. None whatsoever. But yet, they say, if you don't believe there's life out there, you're being arrogant, folks. That's not addressing the issue. That's name-calling. That is a logical fallacy. Attack the person, not the argument. This is what they're getting away with. In other words, in critical thinking, let's analyze their statements and words. We don't have to respond to their with evidence. What we do is we tear apart their statement. Here's another one. Over millions of years, mutations added new genetic information, allowing for all the diversity of life we see today. That's a statement out of biology textbook. Over millions of years, mutations added new genetic information, allowing for all the diversity of life we see today. Let's apply the power question. Show me any observational evidence where that vast amount of information in our DNA came from that does not require me to use faith. The evolutionist cannot do that. 
Here's the problem. Over millions of years, has anybody ever observed millions of years? See, that's the only answer they had. Over millions of years, what they're doing there when they say over millions of years, what they're really saying is they can't produce the evidence. Just trust us. It must have happened over millions of years. That is not a very good scientific statement, folks. That is a statement of faith. So far, we've had the three critical thinking questions. How do you know it's true? Has it ever been observed? Are you making any assumptions? We've had the power question. Show me any observational evidence for evolution that does not require me to use faith. Now, let's turn and do another piece here on critical thinking skills. I call this fuzzy words and magic words. Probably things you did not learn in your English classroom. Fuzzy words. Fuzzy words are used to describe what happened. Let me give you some examples of fuzzy words. Here they are. We believe, we think, must have, could have, might have, our opinion is, we guess, over millions of years. Now, what's so fuzzy about those words or statements? When you see those words or statements in an argument or in a book, what they're saying is they have no observable evidence. That's what those words mean, no observable evidence. Now, let's apply these fuzzy words to some statements. Here's a quote. Paleontologists think that archaeopteryx and today's birds descended from some kind of reptile, possibly from a dinosaur. Let me read that again. Paleontologists think that archaeopteryx and today's birds descended from some kind of reptile, possibly from a dinosaur. Now, notice the words, think that. What do they mean by that? They only think that. In other words, they don't know for sure. They can't produce the evidence. Also noted, birds descended from some kind of reptile. They don't know which one. That's what they're saying there. It's just some reptile. We don't know which one. And then here's the real scientific term, possibly. This whole thing is fuzzy. They have no observable evidence to support what they're saying here. And this is evolution, folks. Let's do another one. Here's another statement. Quote, there are likely tens of billions of Earth-like planets in our Milky Way galaxy. In fact, the nearest Earth-like planet may be only 12 light years away. And with the universe of hundreds of billions of galaxies, our entire universe must contain billions of Earth-like planets. Let's get to fuzzy words. And it starts right off at the beginning. There are likely. In other words, they don't know for sure. They're just saying there's likely. They haven't observed any of this. Now, here's another one. In fact, the nearest Earth-like planet may be. Notice the words in fact, and they follow up with may be. So they're facts. They're not even sure they're facts here. Then we come down to the last part. Our entire universe, entire universe must contain billions of Earth-like planets. All they can say is must contain. They have no clue, folks. This whole thing is nothing but fuzziness. And incidentally, you could apply the three critical thinking questions here. How do you know that's true? How do you know there's tens of billions of Earth-like planets? Have you observed these tens of billions of Earth-like planets? And are you making any assumptions? Now, let's go to another one here in fuzzy words. Now, this just happened recently. They're talking about a newly discovered planet outside our solar system. And here's their statement. The planet, some 25 trillion miles away from our own, is like a twin to Earth. Notice that, a twin to Earth. Near enough that humans could take a picture of it, if not with today's telescopes, then soon. Astronomers believe the planet, like ours, is in the habitable zone of its star, which means water could exist on its surface and maybe life. Let's note the first thing, 25 trillion miles away. Folks, that's pretty far. Our sun's only 93 million miles away. 
The nearest star other than their sun is about 4.2 light years away. But they're talking 25 trillion miles away. Did you know if you were on a rocket ship that was going 1 million miles per hour, that's faster than anything we have, folks. That would take you 25 years to get there. If you were on a spaceship going 25,000, oh, excuse me, if you're going a spaceship going 25,000 miles an hour, and that's pretty fast, that's faster than our space shuttle, it would take you 1 billion years to get there. So 25 trillion miles away is pretty far. Then they say it's a twin like our Earth. Then they say we could take a picture of it, but notice what they follow it up with. It's not with our telescopes today. In other words, we can't get a picture of it, because then they say then soon. In other words, we can't get any pictures of it, so how do we know it's a twin to Earth? Then notice the next statement. Astronomers believe. They just believe. They have no facts to support this. They believe it's like ours. They really don't know. Then they go off to say water could exist. They don't know that either. And they say maybe life. In other words, they don't know anything much about this planet. All they know, it's about 25 trillion miles away. So fuzzy words. Look for those fuzzy words in your textbooks. Look for them in articles about evolution. They're everywhere. Now, let's go to what I call magic words. Now, we're not talking abracadabra, just magic words. What are they? Magic words imply how something happened. Here's some examples of magic words. Appeared, emerged, erose, gave rise to, was on the way to becoming, burst onto the scene, evolved itself, was making a transition to. Well, let's take an example of this one. Here's a statement. Evolutionary development proposes that genes involved in cobbling together flesh and bone during the early growth were repurposed to develop new structures throughout evolution's history by combining their functions in new ways. Wow. Combining their functions in new ways. Well, here's the magic word. They repurposed themselves. What does that mean? Let me give you a homework assignment tonight based on evolution thinking. Tonight, I want you to go home and repurpose yourself into a new creature. What does that mean? How does that happen? In other words, what they're doing is waving a magic wand saying we, creatures can repurpose themselves in new ways and become a whole new creature. Folks, that's magic, not science. Now, we've had three critical thinking questions. We've had the power questions. We've had fuzzy words. We've had magic words. Now, let's go to what I call red flag words. Let me give you three red flag words to start with here. All, everybody, no real scientist. Those are red flag words or statements. What do they do? What do they do? They're used to express an absolute. They're easy to refute because when somebody says all, everybody, no real scientist, that means they've talked to everybody. Folks, call them on that. Have you talked to everybody when you use the word all or everybody or no real scientist? And what do you mean by a real scientist? What's your definition there? Call them on their words. Here's some more red flag words. I believe, I think, truth. Those red flag words used to express an opinion. Why is their opinion true? Or why is it even to be believed? All they're doing is expressing their personal opinion. And here's some more red flag words. Fundamentalist, intolerant. Those are used to label a person. This is called name-calling, attacking the person and not the argument. Well, let's take some examples here. Let's examine the following statement. Quote, I would rather believe in the observable, proven, and settled scientific evidence concerning origins and obvious evolution of life 
than some magic man in the sky as you Christians do. Well, this argument is based on, first of all, a misrepresentation of the Christian's actual position. Where does this person find this information, magic man in the sky, in the Bible? It is not what we believe. He's making some, He's misrepresenting Christians. That is a logical fallacy. Where's the observable evidence for this origin of life that he's talking about? He talks about obvious evolution of life than in some magic man in the sky. What does he mean by obvious evolution of life? Where is the scientific evidence for that? So here's the question we can challenge him with. Since the evolution of life has never been observed, nor can it be produced in the lab, would you call what you believe magic or faith? See, that's exactly what evolution is. is. It's faith. It's magic. That's all they can come up with. Now, let me go to some red flag statements here. These generally come from people who believe in what we call moral relativism, the ideology there are no true absolutes. Let me go through about three or four of these, and we'll analyze each one. Number one, people should decide for themselves what is right and wrong. That's the People should decide for themselves what is right and wrong. That states there is no absolute right or wrong. That's what they're saying. There's no absolute right or wrong. Now, if we can decide for ourselves, here's how I respond. If we can decide for ourselves, then I choose not to accept your statement is true. Why should I believe your statement? I just decide your statement is, is wrong. You see, moral relativism is easy to refute because it is self-refuting. If everybody gets to decide from themselves what is right or wrong, then I'm just going to decide what they just said is wrong. Here's another one. No one has the whole truth. That is very common in our universities today. No one has the whole truth. This is an example of a universal negative statement. In order to prove this statement true, you would have to know everything. In other words, the person making that statement is very arrogant. That is an arrogant statement to make. No one has the whole truth. Also, it is self-defeating because it contradicts itself. The statement itself makes an absolute truth claim. So here's our response. How can you claim that no one has the whole truth and then impose your own claim of the whole truth on me? I'm sorry, but you are contradicting yourself. Or here's another way to respond to no one has the whole truth. A better, more honest way to make this statement would be, no one has the whole truth, including me. That would be a more correct way to state this. Now, here's another one. Why are Christians so intolerant of other views? Whoa, here's that word tolerance, intolerant again. Why are Christians so intolerant of other views? Well, let's start by defining the word tolerance because it is often misunderstood. See, tolerance is the ability or willingness to tolerate something. In particular, the existence of opinions or behavior that one does not necessarily agree with. Something we don't necessarily agree with, we can be tolerant with. In other words, Here's some examples. We tolerate pain at times. Mothers tolerate the pain of birth because they know the outcome, the joy of it. We sometimes tolerate foods we don't like. We tolerate other people's habits we may not like. We tolerate sometimes temporary incomfort or discomfort. We can even tolerate people who disagree with us. Now, many are not aware of what tolerance really means. It has a real close relationship with truth. True tolerance means putting up with error, which means there has to be a truth. So putting up with error, that's what tolerance means. We don't tolerate what we enjoy or endorse. We tolerate what we don't approve of 
or what we believe to be an error. See, tolerance does not embrace or accept as legitimate all perspectives. Rather, tolerance is a negative attitude or dislike or disapproval of a belief or action. You see, if disagreement not exists, then tolerance would not be needed. For example, we may tolerate all religions, but not all religions are the same. So to tolerate all religions means we may not agree or believe them to be true, but we allow others to believe them even though they contradict what I believe. So to summarize here a little bit on tolerance. Number one, tolerance grants people the right to dissent or not agree with. You see, 100% acceptance of all views as true would end up with living with contradictions. So back to our original challenge. Why are Christians so intolerant of other viewpoints? Here's the possible response. You likewise are not being tolerant of my view. Tolerance means we respect another's view even if we don't agree with it. Or here's another way to respond. Why are you being intolerant of my alleged intolerance? See, it turns out that the moral relativists are the people who are most intolerant. They are only tolerant of anyone who does not believe like they do. I'm Mike Riddle, and this has been Defending Your Faith. Go to our website, creationtraining.org. That's creationtraining.org. Or you can email us at info, that's info, at creationtraining.org. I'm your host, Mike Riddle, and don't forget, in the beginning, God created. That's all for today's show. Defending the Faith airs each Saturday at noon right here on KBXL 94.1 The Voice. For more teachings and resources, visit creationtraining.org or the program archive page on 941thevoice.com.